Pastor Dave started a sermon series out of the book of First Samuel, um, talking about King Saul. And he must have known that he was going to be in the hospital this week because he had lined up for Aaron Savage to come and speak this morning. And so, um, Aaron, as he is coming, I am going to do the scripture reading this morning. We're going to be in First Samuel, chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 14. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offerings here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come with the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Thank you, Jeff. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, one of my favorite movies, and uh, those of you that know me, this is probably not a surprise. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Field of Dreams. Uh, it's a great movie about baseball, great movie about Iowa, um, great movie about dead people coming out of cornfield. Um, it's, it's just kind of a classic, you know, and it's, it's got Kevin Costner is, is the star of the movie, and I've actually recently heard that Dr. Bob's favorite actor is Kevin Costner, and so I know he's seen this movie. Um, but Kevin Costner plays an ordinary guy, Ray Kinsella, and uh, he's an Iowa farmer, and, and he's out farming one day, and, and uh, of course he hears the voice, and this mysterious voice tells Ray that if you build it, he will come. And uh, Ray doesn't really know what that means, but he hears it again, and eventually he sees this vision of, of a baseball field on his farm, and, and Shoeless Joe Jackson uh, comes back to life to play on his field. And so, uh, you know, after hearing this voice, he feels called to, uh, to do this. And so um, he invests all this time and energy and, and money into building this baseball field in his farm, and, and he loses all this acreage of his farm to do this. And, uh, and then he waits, and nothing happens. But eventually, one day, Joe Jackson appears. And, uh, you know, throughout the movie, he, the voice comes back, and it has Ray do more and more things, and it kind of gets more crazy. And uh, it gets to the point where even after Joe Jackson is there and all these other baseball players are there, and, and it's just like this magical experience, um, Ray starts to feel the pressure of, of real life. You know, uh, he's, he's lost a lot of money, and, and he starts to doubt if this was the right thing to do. And basically, he's losing sight of the big picture. 
And he's very close to giving up on, on this field of dreams. And this is when uh, Terrence Mann, who's a famous author who the voice had told Ray to kidnap, essentially, um, gets Ray to refocus and see the big picture. Um, that Ray is a part of something special. That he's been called to do this, and he needs to stick with it. Now, what would have happened if, if Ray had forgotten his calling from the voice? You know, none of this would have happened. I mean, he wouldn't have built the baseball field to begin with. He certainly wouldn't have kept the baseball field after uh, being in such a, a financial mess. But he had a very unique calling. And if he had forgotten that calling, he never would have experienced the fulfillment of that calling, which in the end was the ultimate fulfillment, was he was reunited with his dad. Now, I reference that movie to get us to think about our unique calling as followers of Jesus. Um, the thing I want us to focus on today is we have to remember our unique calling to fulfill our unique calling. We have to remember our unique calling to fulfill our unique calling. I've got a, a three-point sermon here because Dave told me that's what <clears throat> I had to do, so I've got three points here. Um, I don't have a PowerPoint, but uh, here's my first point if you want to write it down. You have a unique calling. First point is you have a unique calling. Uh, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have a unique calling. And to understand this calling, um, we really have to look back in the Old Testament at the nation of Israel. Um, Israel is part of a bigger story. Uh, they're a part of a narrative that encompasses their history, their future. And uh, we see way back in Genesis 12 that Israel was formed um, to be a blessing to the world. So they have a vocation. They have a calling. Um, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 12, uh, the Lord is talking to Abraham, and he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God enters into this covenant with, with the nation of Israel. Um, unlike any other nation in the world, God enters into this covenant where these people have been given a privilege and a responsibility. Um, they have been blessed to be a blessing. Uh, because of this, they're called to be holy and separate, that they're supposed to center their lives differently than the other nations. But at the same time, they're also supposed to be an example to other nations, showing them what it looks like to be in a relationship with the one true living God. So this is, this is a big deal. This is a big calling. And it's against this backdrop that we see why the Israelites asking for a king is such a big deal. Okay, we have to remember this. We have to remember the, the covenant when we look at this passage in 1 Samuel. Um, when Israel asks for a king, they are rejecting God as their king. Uh, if you would, turn back to chapter 8, verse 7 in 1 Samuel. Turn to chapter 8, verse 7. And uh, Dave touched on this last week. But in uh, chapter 8, verse 7, it says, And the Lord told him, uh, God is talking to Samuel, the prophet, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Uh, now look at chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. Chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. You know, they wanted a king to be like other nations. Uh, they forgot that they were supposed to be different than other nations. They were supposed to be separate. 
They forgot their unique calling. Um, last week, Dave uh, went over how, um, you know, God does decide to give them a king. And uh, this doesn't mean that God's stepping down. This doesn't mean that God has, has abdicated. Uh, what we have here is we have Israel being a unique nation. They have a unique calling. And we have a unique monarchy. Uh, the way that this is all set up is uh, King Saul, who is the first king appointed by God, um, is actually supposed to follow the commands of another human being. And that's not the way it worked back then. You know, the king did what he wanted. But in this system, um, Saul is supposed to follow the commands of the prophet Samuel because Samuel is a prophet who speaks for God. So we've got this backdrop. In this situation, as, as we work through this passage, um, let's specifically look at a command that Samuel gives Saul. And remember, Samuel is speaking for God. And it's very important that we, that we understand this, this command. Uh, look in 1 Samuel 10.8. I'm having you flip around, but uh, eventually we'll get back to what Jeff read. Look in 1 Samuel 10.8. Okay, we've got the first king of Israel, Saul. We've got this unique nation with a unique calling. And here's the prophet Samuel giving King Saul a command. And he says this in verse 8, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So Samuel has instructed Saul, wait seven days, wait until I get there. I will do some, some offerings and sacrifices. And uh, a few chapters later, we get to our passage for today. So let's flip to uh, 1 Samuel 13. Verse 8, and let's look at Saul's first mistake. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8 through 13. Saul, he, waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering... Samuel, the prophet, arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Now, when we read that, you might think, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, Saul waited seven days. Samuel didn't show up. That's not really Saul's fault. And, uh, you know, he wanted to seek the Lord's favor. Uh, but the problem is that King Saul has directly disobeyed Samuel. And so he has directly disobeyed uh, yeah, Samuel, and he's directly disobeyed God. And I think at this moment, in the heat of the moment, Saul had forgotten the unique calling of, of, of Israel. He, he wasn't looking at the big picture. Uh, when Saul disobeyed Samuel, he ceased to be an instrument of the Lord's rule over his people. Now, I want to stop at this point and have us think about a few things. How often do we forget our unique calling? How often do we forget that we're part of a larger story? 
How often do we get carried away in the busyness of life that we forget how important our role in this world is? You know, because of the victory of Jesus, um, we, the church, are God's people today. We have been given this unique calling. We've been given the Holy Spirit to continue the work of Jesus. In light of what Jesus did, we're all people now, Jews, Gentiles, male, female, can enter into a new covenant. We are to manifest God's reign in a broken world. That's a high calling. Do you know how cosmically and eternally important your individual decisions are? Um, for the last three or four years, I, I've taught, last eight years at, at Iowa Christian, and for the last three or four, I've, I've included the quote I'm going to read on, on our syllabus for my government class because it just kind of sets the tone. And it's a great quote by a theologian where he says this, how we need to wake up to the truth that we vote for or against the kingdom every day of our life. We vote by how we spend our money and time. We vote by where we live, who we hang out with. In the kingdom, we vote with our lives, not in a booth expressing our opinion about what the government should do. Let me read that again. How we need to wake up to the truth that we vote for or against the kingdom every day of our life. We vote by how we spend our money and time. We vote by where we live, who we hang out with. In the kingdom, we vote with our lives, not in a booth expressing our opinion about what the government should do. How can we fulfill this very unique calling if we don't see just how unique this calling is? You know, no matter who you are, um, as, as a Christian, it's very easy to take this calling for granted. Um, Francis Chan is, is a well-known pastor and author. Uh, he and his wife started a church in uh, California. They started with, I think, 30 people in their living room. And the church grew, and, and they got to be thousands of people joining this very dynamic church. Um, but Francis Chan felt like God was calling him somewhere else. And he had gone on a trip to Africa, and he had um, helped some kids get food and water, and, and he came back convicted that, um, that he needed to downsize his family's lifestyle. And so uh, he stepped down from his church, they sold their house, and they embraced a whole new lifestyle centered on ministering to people on the streets of San Francisco. This was a big change. Uh, this was hard on him, it was hard on his family. Um, he was told by friends that he was being a bad father, he was told by other pastors that he was letting his church down, um, he was told he was being selfish. Uh, but Francis Chan knew he had a unique calling. Um, he would not have done this incredibly unique thing if he had forgotten that he had a unique calling as a follower of Jesus. Because God does not call us just to be religious. Francis Chan was already religious. He was a pastor of a, of a thriving church. God has called us to show the world what a transformed heart looks like. God has called us to something big. He's called us to suit up for battle by putting on his armor and through his strength to work with him to fight against evil and darkness in our world. This is no small thing. Um, you know, we're called to, to fight against things like children not having basic necessities, drug addictions, homelessness, uh, the problem of workaholics, slander and gossip in the workplace, uh, broken marriages, living in isolation where people are putting their hope in material things. We're called to combat that. We have a unique calling to be God's hands and feet. 
And we can't forget that. Now, the example of Francis Chan, I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of this famous pastor, but, but voting for the kingdom and remembering our unique calling can look like a lot of different things. Uh, you know, it might look like adopting children. We have so many people in our church who, who have adopted children or are in the process of adopting children. Um, you know, they're voting for the kingdom when they say that all kids deserve a loving home. You know, by sacrificing all the time and energy into this uh, so that they can raise children up in the Lord, they're demonstrating that they have a unique calling as agents of God's kingdom. That's, that's important stuff. Uh, voting for the kingdom looks like our global missions team, you know, specifically choosing areas of the world that has not heard the gospel and going there. It looks like serving people in Waukee with no strings attached. Uh, you know, these are not just good deeds. This is fulfilling our unique calling to manifest the victory of Jesus in our everyday lives. If we forget our calling, we will not see our need to fulfill our calling. All right, we're going to get back specifically to Samuel here in a second, but point number two, if you want to write this down, if you're taking notes, it's easy to forget our unique calling in the midst of trials. It's easy to forget our unique calling in the midst of trials. It's easy to forget it when things are going well. It's easy to forget it in the midst of trials. Uh, in 1 Samuel 13, the context of this passage is a time of war. Uh, the Philistines outnumber the Israelites. The Philistines have better weapons. Uh, they have metal weapons. Israelites are, are fighting with weapons of wood and stone. In fact, in uh, 1322, it says, Only Saul and his son Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. So what are the Israelites doing? Well, uh, some Israelites are hiding in caves. Some of them got out of there as fast as they could. And the ones that stay with King Saul, uh, verse 7 says, were quaking with fear. This is not a good situation if, if you're Saul and you're trying to lead this small group of people against the Philistines. You know, Saul is understandably scared. He waits seven days. Prophet Samuel doesn't show up. And so he wants to seek the Lord's favor, and uh, he does the offering himself. You know, and it's not as though he is consciously forsaking God or saying that he's better than God or anything like that. I just think this is a moment where he's, he's in the heat of the moment, and he's forgotten Israel's unique calling. He's specifically forgotten the part of the covenant where God has promised to fight their battles. I mean, this is an important theme in the covenant. Let me give you two, a couple examples here. Second uh, Chronicles 32, 7 and 8 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. That's what the king of Israel is supposed to do. He's supposed to remind the people of the covenant. He's supposed to remind them that God is going to fight these battles, that they're a part of something bigger. In Psalm 68, I love this passage. It says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. 
Saul lost sight of this. Now, I think it's interesting to compare Saul's situation and his reaction with David. Um, later on in 1 Samuel, we have you know, the famous story of, of David's encounter with Goliath. And it's a pretty similar situation. Uh, you know, he's up against great odds. But let's look at how David, real quick, quickly, let's look at how David deals with this. Uh, flip over to chapter 17, verse 26. We're going to look at three verses and specifically, specifically look at how David deals with this. 1726. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, Goliath, and removes his disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David saw it. He saw that Israel was not just a normal nation or, or a normal army. They're an army of the living God. Skip down to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Why, why does David, this puny little David, think he can fight this giant Goliath? Well, we see why in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David was focused on the unique calling of Israel, even in the midst of trials. I know personally for me it's, it's been hard to remember my unique calling in the midst of trials. Um, two years ago, I ended up uh, resigning from my teaching position at Iowa Christian uh, because we couldn't make ends meet. And, you know, it was... It was a difficult time. Uh, Jess was, was starting her student teaching the following fall. Um, we had to put Carmen in daycare. Uh, Jess had to stop working. Then we have to pay for her to do student teaching. We have daycare, and we have college loans. And it just mathematically, we, we couldn't make it work. And so you know, we prayed about it, and, and I ended up resigning in, in the spring. And you know, I kind of felt like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm walking away from a job I enjoy, and, and I'll, you know, I may not get another teaching job. I may have to do something else. And I kind of felt like, you know, I'm, I'm taking the step of faith. God's going to provide me with a job, you know, next week. I'm going to get this new job. And that didn't happen. Um, spent the rest of, of that spring and summer uh, looking for a job. And, you know, teaching jobs, that didn't work out. Um, I looked into being a swans man. I, I looked into anything and everything because by the end of August, my, uh, my payments from Iowa Christian stopped. You know, I was, getting, I was getting paid through August, but after August, we weren't having any income. And uh, that was pretty difficult. Now, there were times throughout this whole process where Jess and I remembered that we were a part of something bigger than our current circumstances. You know, there were times where that happened. There was a lot of times where we lost sight of our unique calling as well. Um, one of the things that, that we had to do was make conscious daily decisions to try to see the bigger picture. Um, we came to realize that the bigger picture may not include a better paying job. Um, but it did include, it would always include a unique calling in God's kingdom. 
And, you know, I ended up getting rehired back at ICA a couple days before school started um, that year. And so we're kind of right back in the same situation. And it continued to be tough. But, you know, as we prayed through this and struggled through this, we felt like God was convicting us to, to step out and, and do something in the community. And uh, we had kind of talked about, you know, tutoring because we're both teachers. And we, we felt like God was, was convicting us to um, provide tutoring for students who couldn't afford it. And uh, so I, I started looking around for organizations we could partner with. And I ended up finding uh, Freedom for Youth, which I don't know that I'd heard of at that point. But right on their website, they, they were looking for volunteers to lead a, a learning lab after school. And so I uh, called, called it up, talked to the director there. And anyways, we, we started going to this every Saturday or Monday and tutoring kids from, from Des Moines Public School um, District, most of them African refugees. And we love it. I mean, we absolutely love it. We have developed awesome relationships with, with kids, many of whom are broken themselves. And it's been great. It's been a blessing. Um, but, you know, life is not just a straight line. It's not as though that, you know, while we, while we were serving at Freedom for Youth that all our problems just went away. Um, you know, we tried to stay focused on our unique calling. We, we tried to remember that we were part of something bigger, but you know what, the, the daily grind of trying to figure out how, we, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for, you know, literally groceries and, and, and all the bills that come with it? Uh, it was hard. We complained, we argued, we, we became bitter at times. You know, and, and this is where our church family started to bear our burdens. Um, our, our dear life group listened to us vent every week. Um, they prayed with us and for us. You know, and, and along with that, people all throughout the congregation anonymously gave us money throughout that entire year. And we would not have made it without that money. I mean, mathematically, it wouldn't have worked. And, you know, God never designed our unique calling to be carried out in isolation. That's the beauty of the church. We're doing this together. But just like the example of Saul, you know, we can see how we naturally want to do things our way and abandon God's way in the midst of trials. Because sometimes God's plans don't make sense to us. Um, you know, often pragmatism wins over faith and obedience. And just like Saul, I, I think we, especially people who have grown up in the church, it's, it's easy to do the, you know, put on the religious front in the midst of trials. We come to church, we put a smile on our face, we say the same things, you know, we say the same prayers, but there's, a lot of times there's not a genuine faith in God. And I think that's what we see here with Saul. Um, you know, he's trying to make it look like he's doing the right thing. He's doing the sacrifice. Um, he could have just gone into battle and said, forget the sacrifice. But the problem is, you know, he's doing it, but he's disobeying God. And really that reveals that he's now relying on his own ability. He's, he's forgetting the unique calling that God has called Israel. All right. My last point goes right along with this. We need humble courage to fulfill our unique calling. We need humble courage 
to fulfill our unique calling. It takes humble courage to submit to God in times of trials. When Saul was afraid for his life, he took matters into his own hands. When David was afraid for his life, later when Saul was literally pursuing him to try to kill him, uh, and this went on for a long time, when, when this happened with David, he humbly and courageously submitted to God's ways. There's a, there's a huge contrast between what we see with Saul and David. In Psalm 27, while David is right in the thick of this, he says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Through an, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. We must remember our unique calling in good and bad times, and that and that this calling requires courage to take action as we humbly rely on the Holy Spirit to equip us. Um, it's not enough just to remember our calling. We have to remember God has called us to action. Now, I, I actually came across a great quote uh, the other day having to do with the adoption process. And uh, Jen Hatmaker says this. It's kind of a long quote, but it's, it's worth it. She says, When we say yes to adoption, you are saying yes to enter the suffering of the orphan." And that suffering includes waiting for you to get them. I promise you that their suffering is worse than yours. We say yes to the tears, yes to the longing, yes to the maddening process, yes to the money, yes to the hope, yes to the screaming frustration of it all, yes to going the distance through every unforeseen discouragement and delay. Do not imagine that something outside of your perfect plan means you heard God wrong. We Americans invented the show me a sign or this is a sign or this must mean God is closing the door or God must not be in this because it's hard, but all of that is garbage. I want to leave you with, um, we're going to, I'm going to read a passage from Paul, but as we, uh, as we, finish this off. I didn't know how long. I didn't know if this was going to be 20 minutes or 40 minutes, so I think we're doing well on time. Um, as we close this, you know, I just want to remind you, as we think about the victory of Jesus, we have a unique and beautiful calling to be instruments of God's kingdom. This takes humble courage, but for every act we do for his kingdom, it's eternally significant. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We have a high calling. We're not doing this alone. We're doing this together as a church. We need to remember that calling in good and bad times. And we need to encourage each other to have humble courage to fulfill that calling. And I, I'm excited to be a part of a church that's already doing that. And uh, let's pray. Lord, we 
we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather as a family, to get into your word, to, to worship you, to pray for uh, Pastor Dave and, and others collectively as, as a body. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to a unique vocation, to be agents of your work in a broken world. Uh, we don't do this perfectly. We mess up time and time again, but, but your grace is there from the beginning to the end, and you mold us and shape us, and you continue to work with us to be your hands and feet. We thank you for that, Lord, and, and I just pray that you would continue to lead our church as we seek wisdom and vision, and we give you all the glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.